that a horny Michael or is that just Chuck Testa? <laughs> nope. Nope. Chuck just Testa. Chuck Testa. Chuck uh, Testes. Allegedly. Indeed. That's the... Well, good news, friends. Uh, due to recent laws passed by the Supreme Court, we cannot kill this podcast. Apparently, it's officially alive regardless of how little life it feels is in it. Oh, does that mean this podcast has more rights than me now? Yes. Pretty much. Yes, it does. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, at this point, and it's a really it's really sad. It's, it's funny, but it's sad. I think NFTs have more more rights uh-huh. at this point. Yeah. So, but if you get pulled out. over while driving in an HOV lane in Texas, you can claim I host a podcast and the ideas are with me. So technically, I have another <laughs> occupant in the vehicle. <laughs> Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> you heard what I said. Uh, that's not a ticket. That's a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a coupon. This just gets sadder and sadder. <laughs> How about you just frosty in my mouth, big boy, and let's get this over with. I'll stick my head through the window. Oh. Soft serve me right in the soft palate. <laughs> soft serve me, daddy. Oh, God, what have we done? And thinking of uh, things that are slipping uncontrollably out of tight spaces by the eternal. Behold. 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 It's the Disinformed <laughs> Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And liquid will be the death of us, according to John's stream there. So, uh, mm. Just got a case of the mango, and the mango <laughs> is by far the superior flavor. Is that like the SNL mango? So there's a small man in hot pants just dancing around your uh, office there? Uh, every time I take a sip, I feel that way. Yeah. The more I talk <laughs> on this show, the more I start to feel like Norm MacDonald was my fucking spirit animal in another life, and I'm just now coming to terms with that. I mean, there could be worse... Yeah, options. Indeed. You know, you know who ruined Cosby. this podcast? You guessed it. Nixon. Frank Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a joke that is definitely going to wing by everybody else on this call. I so. only got it because you've used that joke before. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was... out there is getting their Shane Hunt badge tonight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was a long-standing uh, punchline that he used on the uh, SNL news skits for quite some time. Everything was Frank Stallone's fault. Always a good culprit. But speaking of crimes, we're going to have a lot of discussion about that this evening, so Uh I want everyone to be ready. But uh, for the uninitiated amongst you and for our conservative friends that came over because of some advertising, hi, fuck you. Um, (laughs) Get him, Dad. (laughs) But in any event, uh, what we typically do on this show is we like to delve into random esoteric nonsense, and then we lie about it. That is the shtick. But unfortunately for you, unfortunately for us, we like to all guess about what it was that's being fibbed about over the course of the show. And at the end, we have a little denouement. We tell you what actually was lied about, regardless of whether or not any of us hapless fools managed to get it right, which is always fun. But we're going to go throw you a bit of a curveball this evening. It's going to be slightly different insofar as um, we're going to be taking a, a small plane trip to a, a, an island in the South Pacific to visit Johnny Depp and as recompense for all of the wonderful support that we offered online. And uh, it's going to be a nice relaxing time, so we're not going to be able to record next week, which means we are going to give you a two-part installment <gasps> of this very topic, which I'm very excited about. So this is part one, and y'all better buckle up. 
But uh, over the entirety of the topic, we are going to have eight lies. So I hope that you are ready. Oh. We'll keep it interesting at the very least. Anything we want to discuss for the good of the order before I just dive headlong into this nonsense? <laughs> yeah, how it. do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? I would uh, politely request that you check that shit, Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> and leave that shit at the door. That's not in the movie, Michael. Hey, Bishop, man, care. not my hand, man. Watch a goddamn sci-fi movie. You look like a character from one. You know, I could actually <laughs> uh, see him flying one of the vessels. It, it seems reasonable. You look like you have almost there energy all over you. <laughs> I mean, I am almost there. It came from behind. Hey! <laughs> oh, no. So what you're saying is that Michael is going to be essaying the role of Porkins this evening. So oh, in a way, in a way, indeed, <sighs> I have you now. So <laughs> here's the thing, friends. We've all watched too much Star Wars. Uh, no. We've all had horrible roommates, right? I mean, it's an unfortunate fact of life for many that to abate the excruciating escalation of the cost of living, you may have been forced to cohabitate with a complete stranger. You know? Yeah. And then your life suddenly uh, yeah, yeah. descends into nightmare scenarios of taped-off bedrooms, <laughs> labeled foodstuffs, a never-ending string of discourteous conduct, and that's just for the married listeners out there amongst you. Phew, yeah. I, was, I was hoping you'd say that, because awareness is you just, important. You can also have parents call you a prick. Your parents called you a prick? No, my roommate's parents <laughs> called me a prick. Are you On. a prick? No, not then. <laughs> Well, now probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they were just foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's foreshadowing. Just, it's just as the gypsy foretold. Uh, <laughs> the prophecy well, has been revealed. We know that Michael doesn't listen to oracles, so. No, not at all. It is known. It has been well established. That reminded me of the first time I had, an, like, the first apartment I ever had. The first time I had an apartment. Um, I had a, a, a random roommate and I met him through the recording studio and it was like a little two-story townhome uh, kind of setup, and there was an upstairs half bath uh, or full bath. Doesn't matter. Anyway, the toilet in there was got there a so tub gross. in there? there w it was a standing shower. Okay. That's so not once a you half go bath. half bath, you can't go full bath. Oh, you well, can. You, you can just go half half hole. Oh, okay. I'm so glad that I'm with people that are good at math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the upstairs toilet, like no one cleaned it. And the, it was like the roommate's responsibility, like on his like chore sheet or something. Mm -hmm. And it just never got done. And it got so bad and gross in there that we never used the toilet. Like we just would go downstairs. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure they had to like just bomb the place when we left because yeah. of how gross that and oh black that God. toilet got because he wouldn't clean it. Yeah, this is a shared experience. I was just telling Melissa about my first apartment that I shared with a, a pair of friends, one of whom has been on this show previously. So my apologies for the stories I'm about to tell. Uh -oh. But uh, I'm one of those obnoxious pricks who values everything way too much. So I paid extra to have the master bedroom, which was on the first floor of our two-story apartment, and I had an attached bath. So I could, you know, soak in a bathtub for hours on end mm. and, you know, just poop where no one could see me. Well, the two the gentlemen dream. shared the upstairs bathroom. So I went up there once. 
when we were on the verge of moving out. Firstly, in one of our roommates' rooms, there was a bowl of cereal which had just congealed to concrete. He'd had it in there for probably three or four months. You could turn the thing over like Dairy Queen. It just stayed in there. (laughs) It's a blizzard. (laughs) It was a Crunchberry blizzard that he had made himself. So then I I went to dump it in their toilet, and their toilet, I shit you not, I thought they had one of those odd ornamental toilet covers where it's like fur that you get Uh off of Grover or something. No, that was dust, pubic hair, and dried urine that had just congealed on the top of the thing to the extent that it looked like it was a separate layer of material. And I was so absolutely repelled by this that I just left the thing on the sink and went back downstairs and was like, I'm, I'm never living with human beings again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, you were, you were saying indeed. about great roommates. You know, the funny thing about all of these experiences is that we've all lived to tell the tale. Today, however, we're going to discuss an individual that an infamous Netflix series has dubbed one of the worst roommates ever. Okay. So, Dorothea Puente is commonly known as a notorious matronly Sacramento boarding house operator labeled the Death House Landlady, convicted in the 1990s of killing her tenants. Can you blame her? Uh, no, not after the stories we just recounted. <laughs> we're all one bad toilet. toilet. Yeah, we're all one bad toilet <laughs> Late away. Rent. That's it. That's Indeed. All it takes. And uh, her macabre story, including allegations that she buried several victims in the yard of her Victorian-style home a few blocks from the Capitol, made headlines across the country. However, her early life was easily as ghastly, if not more so, than her later exploits. So it's handy to note I actually have been working on throwing this topic together for a long time. And then when I discovered that this is a part of a Netflix series, I was like, okay, this is just close enough to our, our last pod agenda. And technically my title for this episode is the last landlady on the left. So (laughs) we're, we're appropriately set here, but uh, I figure it's adjacent to enough things that you can actually go and do some subsequent research on your own once we finish this. But in any event, What is most commonly known is that at age 64, Puente was tried for nine, count them nine, murders after police unearthed seven bodies around her home. Two more bodies, including that of a former boyfriend found in a box in the Sacramento River, and an ex-husband who was carelessly discarded at an Atascadero junkyard, were later linked to Puente as well. So Dorothea preyed on what investigators call shadow people, which refers to the elderly, alcoholics, and those with disabilities. So though there were no witnesses to the slayings themselves, prosecutors said Puente was one of the most cold, calculating female serial killers the country has ever seen. Okay. They they claimed she used drugs to overdose her victims, then collected their money and social security checks. Is that really how she did it? That is exactly how she did it. She took in over $87,000 over a period of several years, the prosecutors claimed, and spent it primarily on a facelift, amongst other things. (laughs) Checks out. So she'd look good in the mugshot, obviously. Exactly. Yeah, Uh does she look good in the mugshot? No, she does not. (laughs) Hold hold on. She's got more baggage than the Titanic before it went down, okay? She should have gotten a refund then. Indeed. Dissatisfied. Say that name again. 
Uh, it's oh Dorothea Puente. Have and I will not that. have you doing any further uh, oh, no, research want, beyond the picture. Want, I just want the mug shot. Good. It's a hell of she a just, mug. And she wants a different kind of shot. In, oh, well, we'll are you get kidding me? She's hot as fuck, dude. Okay, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so we've established that John oh. likes granny porn. Uh, <laughs> now I know why he was so excited for that scene in The Shining. So I just if you love were... the way her eyes are sunken into her head. So and if... look. <laughs> Uh. Better to see you with. If, <laughs> if Estelle Getty's rose on the Golden Girls got you hot under the collar, then this woman is an absolute ten. I so. feel like I just tanked my Google search history, and now there's going to be some really weird shit happening. Good. Yeah. You Have you guys that? done the uh, the P test on? Several times. I've had urethritis. It's a thing. It's when you go up to your web browser and you type in www. and then type in p and see how far you can get into the search without it hitting porn. Uh, Yours started with porn the second you hit w. (laughs) (laughs) Like the finish where you left off? Recently. (laughs) I just hit the surprise me button. Oh, God. (laughs) X hamster volume 12. So, Good back year. to another type of P. Puente, despite her Hispanic surname, was actually born Dorothea Helen Gray on January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, California, to Trudy May, Nay Yates, and Jesse James Gray. It's a great name. Jesse James outlaw. Gray sounds made up. It, you'd think, but it's not. He was mm. Jesse James Gray. It's the 20s. People were still very precious about the 1800s and had the concept that villainy was somehow acceptable because everybody, you know, lived by their wits and hard steel. Tell me that you've played 400 hours of Red Dead without telling me that you've played 400 (laughs) hours of Red Dead. It's time to wake up, you gruesome bastard. (laughs) You slip into it too easy. I slip into most things too easy, but that's me. So... Miss Dorothea endured a notably traumatic upbringing, just like those who rode with, you know, gangs back in the 1800s. Go figure. Uh, Her parents were both alcoholics, as you'd expect, and her father repeatedly threatened to go commit die in front of his children. Hey, if it gets them to pick up their, uh, their room, then by all means. Wow, your household just got Can way darker. Can you stop darker. giving Michael parenting tips, Shane? Like, he doesn't need this. Actually, I'm really fascinated to see what'll happen. It's a sociological experiment on my part. And I have my thumb on the scale. <laughs> we'll be watching your career with great interest. <laughs> oh, it's just messy. Sand but gets everywhere. Fucking Star Wars quotes all night tonight. <sighs> all right. Never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. True. <laughs> so Jesse James Gray, a World War I veteran whose lungs were damaged from a gas attack on the front lines in France. It might have been mustard gas, who knows? He died of tuberculosis in 1937. Ooh. Dorothea's mother apparently lost custody of the children in 1938, as Trudy was reportedly a bit of a promiscuous drunkard who ran with what they would call a rough crowd and in the 30s that meant the clan oh so uh, <laughs> they were all nodding we're like yeah rough crowd yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah i feel like oh they threw fruit at me after a bad joke yeah no something different uh allegedly trudy was also a part-time sex worker 
to use oh. the modern nomenclature. Yeah. She was rarely at home, and when she was, she argued incessantly with Jesse. You're not going to stick up that train today, Jesse James. <laughs> Quality. Uh, so when Jesse passed in 1937, the children were all placed in an orphanage where, naturally, Dorothea then indicated that she was abused physically in ways that require a trigger warning. So I'm just going to put everybody on blast here that there are trigger warnings in the show notes. Go check them because I'm going to need them as well are you. So uh, in any event, all the welfare workers were apparently very handsy at this particular oh, orphanage. Yes. And uh, so made it a little difficult to get appropriate child rearing there. What a slip of the tongue. Anyway. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, there, there's a joke in there, but I, I'm not going for it. Yeah, this is uh, why you get puns all jail. over the place. Ugh. Bad chain. Um, <laughs> Ooh, bad chain. Indeed. Ooh, slightly aroused now. Oh my uh, god, you fucking stoned hornball every <laughs> single time. <laughs> weed, weed War 2 starts now. The more high he gets, the more he's just like, oh yeah, daddy. He just keeps saying daddy a lot. It's a running gag. Gig. It's a running gag. (laughs) I'm about to have a gig here. Oh, my God. Look at him. He's using trigger words. Uh, Yeah, so we're back to talking about abusing children, please. Can we stay on topic? Uh, I don't know why he suddenly surged into the Bronx there. (laughs) Can we stay on topic? So by the end of 1938, Mother Trudy, unfortunately, met her demise in a motorcycle accident, officially making Dorothea and her siblings orphans. I am trying not to sound so gleeful while I say these things. I promise. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we don't we don't handle this kind of stuff all the time. So no. It's... <laughs> um, so I'm not necessarily just making light of this because there are going to be some factoids about Dorothea that we're going to be told here in a moment that are going to call some of these things into question. And that is why I may have a jovial and jocular tone. So Dorothea would cope with her sad and isolated childhood by telling tall tales and fabricating fables about her experiences. We've all been there, right? Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, as I say. Mm -hmm. But by the time she was 16, Dorothea was a working sex worker in Olympia, Washington. She consequently met her first husband, Fred McFile... (laughs) I'm just going to run that by you one more time. Fred Uh... McFile... While working at a cat house there. And no, that's not a cat cafe for those of you who are playing the home game. <laughs> Darn it. You can pet pussy there, just in an entirely different context. Is it this episode brought cafe? to you by. <laughs> I mean. I think it is. Yes and no. There's fluids there, and they are consumed orally, just. There's a lot of petting. There's a lot of petting. And a lot like, of fur on the floor. I was gonna... <laughs> Michael, you were trying to make a Chuck Testa joke, and I felt it. Just want to acknowledge it for you. Oh, okay. I was just going to mention, <laughs> do they serve coffee there to make it a cafe? But that that was... Well, they do to sober the gents up at the end of the evening. But okay. yeah. Well, they don't have a knocker up to wake them up in the middle, of the, you know, as the sun rises, so... Is that a Puma presenting over in the corner by the bar? (laughs) Nope. Nope. Just Chuck Tesla. (laughs) Tesla. Tesla. I was going to let it go. I was going to let it go. I also said Chalk, so altogether. 
Chalk Tesla is a great rendition. <laughs> when when Chuck a- Tesla gets exposed to gamma radiation, he becomes the Chalk Tesla. Chalk smash. Chalk stuff. Just not pets. <laughs> All right. Well, pets. on the subject of things getting stuffed, and uh, Mc, McFowl <laughs> encountered her at the cat house after having returned <laughs> from the Pacific Theater of World War II. So apparently, Man. she enjoyed semen from the Fifth Fleet. But uh, <laughs> Fred, however, was ready to settle down. Married life, however, didn't immediately suit Dorothea. Let me tell you why. She enjoyed drinking to excess, telling stories about hobnobbing with movie stars, and being in Hiroshima when the atomic bomb was dropped on the city. You can't you prove that she wasn't. You can't so. prove that she wasn't. I mean, I her know, skin's not there. extra crispy, so I'm going to take a guess that she probably wasn't around. Maybe that's when she got her superpowers. She turned it to the choke. <laughs> <laughs> did she really talk about knowing celebrities? She sure did. You know, it, from the what, movies. Yeah, from the movies. But was did she, she specific? Act- she, no, I didn't have any examples oh, okay. here. I just Though, wanted to know. I mean, there's a good possibility. She's like, yeah, I hang out with Leo. Did she actually say she was there when the bombs fell? She sure did. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> fucking God. God. Yeah, didn't have a lot of restraint, this one. So, oh, wait, it gets worse. Oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> So it's kind of like what you're trying to lead to saying is that you're not supposed to really like this person. Indeed. If anyone required sensitivity training as they crested into their 20s, Dorothea was in the running. Um, She had two daughters between the years 1946 and 1948. She sent one child to live with relatives in Sacramento, which is what I was told happened to one of my dogs when I was a child. Uh, And then (laughs) placed the other child up for adoption. So based on these circumstances, as well as a series of unfortunate events, McFowl would ultimately become Gray's first murder victim. Ironically enough, in the spring of 1948, Gray had been arrested for purchasing women's accessories using forged checks in Riverside, California. Now, for those of us who are all too used to just walking up and tapping a piece of plastic on a register (laughs) these days, the idea of check fraud in general is a little foreign to most. But for those of this age, this was the racket. If you had no money to do anything, I'll just give you a check. You can pay for anything, because it'll be a month before they catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Fun. they caught up with Dorothea. <laughs> so she was charged and pled guilty to two counts of forgery, serving four months in jail and a further three years on probation. Ooh. Six months after her release, she went on to murder her husband and flee Riverside, initiating a crime spree that would scar the face of American decency forever. Was there now, detail? notice... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, please ask your question. Oh, I was going to say, were there details on like the inciting incident? <clears throat> oh, sorry, I'm me. about to detail it for you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but uh, put into I account here that uh, this, is, this is 1948. She wasn't apprehended until the 90s. So think about the space we're about to cover. Her Ooh. cold, dead eyes make a lot more sense. Indeed. <laughs> So, on November the 30th, 1948, McFowl was seen locking up his business, a radio repair shop in Oxnard, California, and making his way onto Interstate 10 to head towards his home in Glendale. 
The next day, McFowl's car, which contained his wallet, some condoms, and an empty vodka bottle, was found abandoned near the Atascadero State Prison, which is roughly 200 miles away. Two weeks later, his body was found in a junkyard near Morro Bay, dead from multiple, multiple gunshot wounds to the chest. However, without the wallet or identification, his identity was not determined at the time. So the car was significantly removed from where the body was found. While being held for murder in 1992, Gray actually confessed to working as a sex worker along the Southern California Highway at the time. Her occasional M.O. was to approach unsuspecting men under the guise of, as she said, offering a ride before robbing them at gunpoint. (laughs) It is suspected, as Dorothea would always claim this murder to be an act of self-defense against a violent John, as opposed to murdering her husband, that on this day her husband discovered her walking along the shoulder of the I-10, pulled over, and proceeded, as you do, to ask what in the con hill she was doing walking along the side of the interstate. Trying to She's also, like, firstly, you're on parole, so not a good look. Secondarily, what the fuck are you doing while I'm at work? So, uh, it was believed that he was well aware of the fact that his wife was prone to infidelity and had just come to terms with this, apparently. But this was apparently just a bridge too far. So, the two engaged in an argument, which quickly escalated, resulting in Gray reportedly shooting him with a twenty-two caliber pistol she kept in her purse to facilitate the robberies. Ah, She then drove the vehicle to Morro Bay, which is three hours away from the scene of the crime, discarded all of her clothing, as well as the murder weapon, into the water, and then dumped her husband's body out at a junkyard. Just kicked it out and drove away. She then proceeded to abandon the vehicle near the state prison in the hopes that it would be considered stolen and left as a getaway vehicle. Wow. Yeah. Huh. She then kind of makes sense, I guess. Uh huh. And then she proceeded to hitchhike her way back to Glendale. You guessed it. Continuing to prostitute herself for transit. I mean, she was already completely naked. So, well, she really prostitute her way home. (laughs) Mm hmm. That was her job. So, oh boy, there's just two things in this world that I look forward to every day: killing my husband and. Sucking dicks to get home. <laughs> and giving up children for adoption. Uh, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, she would later attempt to claim self-defense while depicting these events to police, falsely claiming that McVile was an intoxicated John she needed to subdue to save herself from being murdered, as opposed to her husband being incensed by her choice of after-hours affairs. Um, was, did she actually abandon her clothes? Was she naked the whole time? She was not naked the whole time. There was clothing in her purse. You do need to have a bit of wash up, you know, as you would expect. That's fair. I just wanted to make sure because that was what I was picturing in my head. And I thought that was just (laughs) bizarre. No, she was not naked the entire time. Yeah. Keep it, keep it civil, Michael. Stop trying to take it there. (laughs) She didn't. She didn't keep it civil at all. She (laughs) Gunned down her husband and dumped his body. And while she was butt-ass naked, Michael, if you can believe it. <laughs> Bam. That's what I believed. Uh, Give this man less edibles. Please continue. Um, <laughs> is, the, is the highway robbery true? Because I 
I feel like there was another case very similar, so it's really interesting to hear. Um, there is a striking similarity to Eileen Warnos from yes. later on as well. And okay. yes. <laughs> interesting. So, uh, now, I will say she was more prone to prostitution than, than the robbery. Than the robbery, okay. In general. So, technically, yes, that's a bit of a fib. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do we, we count technicalities? Yes, I'm counting technicalities. I'll give you credit for, for one on that one. Now, this is a little bit peculiar because she was never actually linked to the crime initially. So what? she's, yes, this is how it gets a little <laughs> weird around the bend. So the car was impounded once it was discovered because, again, yeah. they couldn't reach anyone to claim it since he was the registry yeah. and wasn't responding to phone calls. Go figure. Uh, and so it was demolished after 90 days of being in impound. Her husband's body was never linked to the car because they didn't identify his body. He had no identifying characteristics. This is the 40s. They're not calling across, you know, county lines to try to reconcile a dead body. And then, furthermore, the body was significantly decomposed by the time they discovered it because he was in a fucking junkyard. So, damn. <laughs> altogether, they never recovered the murder weapon because that was cast into the bay, and the case was just unsolved until Dorothea claimed that she had killed the John while she was being held for trial in 92. So, this is all damn. flabbergasting. The thing that's crazier about this is she never admitted to any of the other murders. <laughs> just the one. So, she claimed that she had that never bastard. killed anybody except this guy who tried to kill her one time. Okay. So the statute of uh, limitations just make there okay. lies the rub. She knew she okay, could get cool. away with revealing this one because it was 50 years ago, basically. <laughs> so in any event, moving on, as the song states, Dorothea continued looking for love in all the wrong places. And in 1952, married merchant seaman Axel Brand Johansson in San Francisco. What a name. The names wow. on this episode are some of my favorites I have ever discovered in the course of doing research, and I'm going to stand by that. That's These just a delightful. sexy fucking name. A sexy name's a sexy name. <laughs> Axel Bren Johansson. Sounds like someone you take up into a supply closet playing hide-and-seek and give them a little rub and tug. I would let them hide something inside of me. <laughs> Indeed. Blake Crouch is rubbing his hands together. He's like, ooh, Axel. Mm. So, <laughs> Lots of sex. <laughs> Dorothea had created a fake persona to stay ahead of the law, calling herself, and I shit you not, this is not a lie, Taya Singoala Nayarda. Is that French? Bless you. <laughs> she claimed to be a Muslim of Egyptian and Israeli descent. Oh, that was my second guess. Mm. I could see that. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, your oh, guess is as so good that's as how mine. She was, because she was there when the bombs fell. Uh-huh. And then yeah, yeah. Egypt over, and Japan just are just like right spitting over. distance from each other. Yeah. I was like, yeah, John's relative down. geography would state that Israel and Japan are just next door neighbors, you know, since they're they're basically the same thing. Yeah. Virginia's yeah. right next to Texas. Uh, yep. That checks out. Indeed. So I was educated in Arizona. How many times do we have to talk about this? <laughs> <That's> my point. <laughs> 
So, unfortunately, Axel and Dorothea had a bit of a turbulent marriage, as you would suspect, since she offed her first husband. Uh, Gray would frequently take advantage of his frequent trips to sea by regularly inviting men to the home. And, of course, oh. gambling away all of his money while he was at port. So, such a delightful time. Wonderful one. Uh, when she and her hubby fell into financial arrears, she frequently stole checks and continued to prostitute herself to make ends meet. An occasional stint in jail was simply the cost of doing business. And because Dorothea was incapable of telling the truth, allegedly, uh, she always took a plea deal to avoid being cross-examined. Because I don't want to have to admit anything. By the way, there's a body in the bay. So, by the time she was 30 years old, she was overweight and looked twice her age. Who does that sound like? Uh, Guilty. And uh, (laughs) in early 1960, she started a bordello under the guise of a bookkeeping firm in a rented storefront in Sacramento. What was it called? Uh, I believe it was called Big Books. (laughs) Here at oh. Big Books, we have what? books. Indeed. You cannot lie. We've got we so books. many ledgers, allegedly. Uh, in any event, her house of ill repute charged the odd sum, and John, you will appreciate this, of $7.50 for oral sex. <laughs> well, for seven twenty-eight, I'd just eat the money. Indeed. They will staple their hands together, but... Uh, As you would expect with such (laughs) rock-bottom prices, pardon the pun, uh, the business was eventually raided. Dorothea pled no contest to solicitation and exploitation charges and was subsequently sentenced to 90 days in Sacramento County Jail. So she's racking up quite a rap sheet here for the material she's actually been apprehended doing as opposed to what she's guilty of, but moving on. She's trying not to turn her, her hobby into a career. Indeed. She's enjoying it, so she doesn't want to make it a job and then suck the enjoyment out of it. Hey, because if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, she's sucking the enjoyment out of a number of other things, but that's just a left alone. So she never has to work a day in her life. (laughs) I think what we've established that she's worked a lot of days in her life. A lot of days. It's a lot of work. Yeah, mostly those are in the county yard, from what I understand. But in any event. It's called a blow job, not a blow chore. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 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 Sure, words have never been spoken. In 19. I'm so proud of it. (laughs) I like when you guys think I'm an idiot all the time. This isn't a blow job. I blow quit. (laughs) So, in 1961, Johansson and Dorothea briefly committed to... Wow. I butchered that sentence. In 1961, Johansson had Dorothea briefly committed to DeWitt State Hospital after enduring a slurry of drinking, lying, criminal behavior, and, unfortunately, suicide attempts. While there, doctors diagnosed Dorothea as a pathological liar with an unstable personality. What? Not Dorothea. Indeed. At least the word hysteria was not utilized, so we can at least get away from that. Well, she doesn't have to worry about hysteria because, you know, it's very easy to take care of that. No, hysteria hadn't been released yet. Def Leppard let that out in 1987. Very famous. Oh, record, but, uh, my bad. I, fantastic I, record. Dates yeah. always get confused. I'm yes. sorry. You're thinking of high and dry, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yes, yeah. So. You're right. You're right. 
or maybe on through the night their first album which is just a tour de force i mean really fantastic it's a vehicle tour, truly yeah, indeed i'll have to give that a listen you you better you better had so gray and johansson would eventually divorce in 66 because you don't always take being committed in stride unfortunately he made it out alive huh Indeed. And although Dorothea would consider continue to use Johansson's name for some time following their separation. So, didn't like the guy, but she held on to the surname. It's a great fucking name. I mean, Indeed. it is, yeah. Dorothea Johansson. <laughs> it, it, it has a, a better sound, for sure. Yeah. That's what I hear. So, you'll notice that this starts to become a pattern for a forward-thinking, enterprising grifter like our young Dorothea here, because <laughs> she's just got a slew of surnames and uh, AKAs that she can whip out at a moment's notice. So, she then assumed the identity of Sharon Johansson, disguising her delinquent behavior by portraying herself as a kindly Christian widow woman. Is that really what she called herself? Sharon, Sharon Johansson. Johansson. Yep. That's hilarious. Sharon Johansson. So you have a sex worker, a sex worker named Sharon Johansson. Indeed. <laughs> I mean, the jokes write wow. themselves. Yeah, I, truly. <laughs> wow. So uh, she established her reputation as a caregiver, providing young women with sanctuary from poverty and abuse without charge, other than the paltry act of taking with or without their consent their social security or government assistance ah. checks. Ah, okay. <laughs> Everything costs something. Indeed. And if anybody complained, she would simply evict them from the home and call the police on them. Well, shit. It's good business. How old was she when she was doing this? Uh, at this point, she's probably late 20s. Oh, oh yeah. Early okay, 30s. Late, late 20s, okay. But again, she looks significantly older. <laughs> right. She's She's had some rough living there. She looks like the former keyboard player in a band you used to be in. Ooh, that's a rough 30. Ooh. Goddamn right. <laughs> Ooh. As uh, Sam would say, got that meth mouth. Ooh. Facts. Indeed. So, she then used her tenants' money to buy fashionable outfits, ensembles, if you will. It's very important. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, her yeah. hair was always done up in a rather neat and conservative bouffant or an updo. And she donned expensive jewelry and perfume. She Ooh. then generously donated to charities and political campaigns to cultivate a reputable public persona. Did she actually, though? Sure did. Of wow. course. It was part of her fantasy to be a person of importance in the community, and with a community like Sacramento, how could you not? Would you say that this is a serial killer that has delusions of grandeur? Don't they all? <laughs> <laughs> and naturally, she was greatly aided by her experience with compulsive lying. Yeah. Something every great politician excels at, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. hurt. She told anybody who would listen that she was a former model, actress, doctor, or lawyer, depending upon the day of the week and the... Phases of the moon. Uh, the little orphan that could, of course, climbed out of her self-inflicted hellhole and made a better place for herself. But certainly not for others. In 1968, always on the lookout, of course, for a future ex-Mr. Malcolm, Dorothea <laughs> married Roberto Jose Puente. Obviously, Cisa Puente. And after 16 yes, months... The couple separated, with Dorothea, with Dorothea citing domestic abuse as the main cause. And then she also put an asterisk. She goes, can I get Johannes back? Indeed. <laughs> Not the person, just the name. 
The most important thing I believe she said on the record when they asked about her relationship was she said that her dog stepped on a bee. But in 1967, she attempted to serve Roberto with a divorce petition, but Puente fled to Mexico. Bye, the- bitch. <laughs> See ya. Uh, the divorce, of course, then wouldn't be finalized until 1973. Still, the two would continue to have a turbulent relationship with Dorothy. The uh, fi- man, Dorothy is a name you got to wrap your face around. Like, um, <laughs> really, name, not her just, uh, face. Indeed, but- just call her Sweet D. Yeah. I mean, you could wrap your face around her face for a prize. Everything for uh, a prize. Uh, Indeed. No, thank you. I'm Not sure hungry, thanks. Her face seemed pliant enough based on the ridges that I saw from most like of the documented Play-Doh, photographs. You know, I can you swim. put Play-Doh against newspaper and it returns the, the ink on it? I was thinking more of like Dizzy Gillespie, like pre and post blowing into the horn, you know, just like... Oh. Okay, that's what you meant. <laughs> Just siphon her off. <laughs> she looks oh, like Droopy Dog, God. Michael, okay? So you could get a fold of her face and just pull it. Puts a whole new meeting on sucking faces. I Indeed. hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Put her back into the car. She's leaning out again. She's going to create drag. We're flying off the road, kids. <laughs> Still, despite their separation and him fleeing into another country, uh, Dorothea then went on to file a restraining order against him in 1975. So this is two years after the divorce was finalized. Is apparently she just couldn't get enough. And uh, Roberto kept coming back. Uh, despite the drama, she would continue to use the surname Puente for more than 20 years. So she did not angle to go back to the Johannes, unfortunately. Made a mistake. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So following the divorce, Dorothea focused on running a boarding house located at 21st and F Streets in Sacramento. She'd established herself as a genuine resource to the community to aid alcoholics, the homeless, and mentally ill individuals by holding AA meetings and assisting individuals with signing up to receive Social Security benefits. And during this time, she also still getting just absolutely shithoused? I'm sure. So is she doing like (laughs) one of those like tricks where it's like, bring all your booze that you're going to give up, bring them to the meeting. Exactly. I'll hold on to them for you. I'll throw it away. It gets even worse than that, because apparently there was nothing she <laughs> abhorred more than an alcoholic and a drunk. Of course. And so she would just openly berate people for their inability to, you know, control their urges and then just be hammering booze. So. You are literally saying this to me with your head in a toilet. That's still better than you. You're just fucking bitch. You're Don't fuck- know how to hold your liquor. You're fucking, you're fucking sick. Wow, did she start a band? And you're going to hell. <laughs> In any event, um, she then changed her public image to that of a respectable older matron by putting on vintage clothing, wearing large granny glasses to aid in looking a bit more aged, and then letting her hair turn gray. So Really? Yes. For, for both the glasses and the hair? Correct. Huh. So she wanted to cultivate this facade as a matronly grandmother and then establish herself as a respected member in Sacramento's Hispanic community, funding charities, scholarships, and radio programs. So uh, she wanted to become a gilf. It may also be why <laughs> she... <laughs> Yikes. This also helps the surname to make a little more sense because you yeah. want to seem like you're endearing yourself to the constituency as opposed to being that weird gray lady. 
Uh, she then met and married Pedro. In- I'm gonna run this. Pedro Angel Montalvo. Though Montalvo abruptly left the relationship only a week after they got married. So she's got a bit of a rough running relationship with gentlemen callers, unfortunately. But to John's point, during this time, Dorothea drank alcohol to excess despite operating a supposed safe haven for alcoholics. Ironically, she outwardly loathed drunkards. She was irascible with tenants and wouldn't hesitate to punch out an inebriated tenant before tossing them down the front stairs. Is that bullshit? That is not bullshit. She was prone (laughs) to throw hands. Because that's my booze, not your booze. That's my booze now. That's why she hated alcoholics, because they're drinking booze that she could be drinking. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, after one of Dorothea's alcoholic tenants was incarcerated and didn't receive his social security checks in jail... He started to make some inquiries, and he discovered that his signature had been forged and his checks were subsequently cashed. An investigation was initiated, and Puente lost her business, social standing, and her income. And then, in 1978, Dorothea was charged and convicted of illegally cashing 34 state and federal checks that belonged to her tenants. She was given five years probation in order to pay $4,000 in restitution. I think that is an excellent place for us to leave off because we are prior to getting into any of the real nasty nitty gritty here. So we'll leave a little something for folks to, to wait for on the second episode and gives us an opportunity to, uh, you know, refresh ourselves for a moment before we finish up. But, uh, so you've gotten a lie. And that is that is handy. So she was not actually primarily robbing folks out on the highways and byways. She was mostly out there looking for loving because that's a great way to make yes, money. Mm-hmm. But she did have a gun. Just in case. Just just in case. Like I you mean, you do. have to be protected. Indeed. Got to use protection. Yep. It's very important. There were condoms found on the uh, the husband's body. So I suppose. Well, not on the body in the car. <laughs> on the body. <laughs> And because of what he just found out, those were sad condoms. Indeed. (laughs) Sad condoms. (laughs) So I think that is going to give us a moment to to have a brief reprieve. But thank you all for being here. And this is going to be the first episode where we leave without telling you what the full breadth and depth of the lies were. I know. Terrible, but I don't want to spoil the surprise for those that are taking part in the episode here. But as I said, I might record a little bit at the end here just to kind of catch everybody up if we need to. We'll see. But in any event, I think that is going to give us a a brief uh, end to this particular episode. So thank you all for being here. As always, we do have a uh, slew of relevant socials in our link tree in the show notes, so you can check us out anywhere that you would like to to stay on top of us. Michael's shorts are as popular as ever over on the tubes of you but we've got a slew of content winging your way we just talked about stephen king's mr mercedes the other day and it was delightful and really appreciated the opportunity and i see that courtney's already finished finders keepers so uh, <laughs> i think we're going to be catching up on that far faster than we'd expected uh anything well. else for the good of the order for those who are on the call no. Don't forget All to right. tip your waiters and waitresses. <laughs> tip them. Damn near killed them. There you go. All right. Well, I think that is going to bring things to a close and sort of the disinform. Well, 
I do have to say that contrary to what Dorothea would say, I hope something great happens to you today. Oh, that good. you don't wind up just tossed carelessly into a junkyard somewhere in California. But uh, I want that noted on the record. So for the Disinformed Podcast this week, I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. And zippity zoop, we're out of here. <laughs>